Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 513th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective. Our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments get your daily reading from me uh, on the Feuerstein's Fire blog. It's not just a podcast. It is now officially a blog. Just go to danielfeuerstein.com. And uh, read up on some of my articles. Of course, it's Red, Red Bulls related. And we'll also get to national, U.S. Men's National Team Open Cup and other events. Um, I want to give a shout-out and a good luck to the U.S. Women's Olympic Team as they travel to the Far East, to Tokyo, Japan, in their hunt for a gold medal or of any Olympic medal they can get. Obviously, we are hoping they'll get gold, but still, though, I want to say good luck to them, and I hope that they will bring back the gold once again from these Olympic Games coming up. It should be exciting. It should be fun, and I cannot wait to see. And hopefully uh, we can all be able to watch these games uh, on NBC and all the other NBC channels moving forward, and uh, we'll have to wait and see what will happen there, of course. But let me just start off by saying this. You know, when this sport came back over 25 years ago, back in 1996, we had stadiums not meant for the game. We were at Giant Stadium, Tampa Stadium, RFK Stadium, Mile High Stadium, the Cotton Bowl, the football stadium for the Ohio State University. We also had it, you know, the original Foxborough Stadium, the Rose Bowl. Anything and everything that you'd hope that soccer can be played in, the big NFL stadiums, the college football stadium, Spartan Stadium, Arrowhead Stadium. It took a man, one man, to realize we have to build a stadium for the game. And that was Lamar Hunt. Not only a believer in the National Football League, big believer in American soccer, owned the original Dallas Tornadoes of the North American Soccer League. Of course, he's from the state of Texas. And it took this man and his money to build the very first soccer-specific stadium in Columbus Crew Stadium, historic Columbus Crew Stadium. The vision of understanding 
that we have to build stadiums to allow Major League Soccer to grow and to expand and to broaden the horizons. Since the summer of 1999, Historic Crew Stadium was that jewel. Granted, more stadiums have been built, better stadiums have been created, but we never forget the old girl, the original, the first one. Many moments have been made there for the Columbus crew, and of course, we cannot forget the start of Dos Acero in FIFA World Cup qualifying for our U.S. men's national team. Until the last cycle where the dominance broke, that stadium has been a fortress for our national team. You can go to any supporter, any reporter, covering, following, cheering, supporting that club. They were the first. They had the first soccer-specific stadium. And the pilgrimage to that beautiful pitch, and even though they've had a a little bit of a renovation here and there, that stadium was just brilliant and fantastic. If you can say there's an annex to the Soccer Hall of Fame, or if the Soccer Hall of Fame can have some power, fly to Columbus, Ohio, and say, we would like to, you know, commemorate Historic Crew Stadium as an official member of the Soccer Hall of Fame, by all means, do it. Go for it. Because we're never going to see a stadium like that ever again. From years of players that wore the yellow and black in Columbus, Ohio, for the amount of players playing for our national team in friendlies, World Cup qualification, that old girl has seen some wonderful moments and beautiful moments for our national team. While we say goodbye to historic Columbus Crew Stadium, we say hello to Lower.com Field, located on Stadium Row in downtown Columbus, joining the likes of Nationwide Arena, home of the National Hockey League's Columbus Blue Jackets, the AAA Minor League Baseball Stadium in the Columbus Clippers, Huntington Park, AAA affiliate of the Cleveland Indians, and then right next to that, Lower.com Field, home of the Columbus Crew. 
new memories will be made. New moments will be created. This, my friends, is where I believe Columbus will keep that World Cup qualifying home match against El Tree, Mexico, as the stadium will be bigger, better, allowing the roof to keep the noise in. And every time there's a song being sung, and every time there's a goal being scored, every time there is a situation where the Mexican national team will do something rash, they will hear it. They will feel it. They will be on notice. Since Columbus Crew Stadium has been built, we have had, obviously, different names for different places. We all know about the Home Depot Center, then becoming the StubHub Center, now becoming Dignity Sports Park Field Stadium Center whatever you want to call it. And then we have more stadiums, of course. FC Dallas Stadium, BBVA Compass Stadium, Red Bull Arena, Talon Energy Field Park, same ones, now Subaru Park, Allianz Field, we had SeatGeek Stadium, FC Dallas Stadium, now Toyota Stadium, Dick's Sporting Goods Park, Avaya Stadium, now it's, uh, now it's Earthquake Stadium, Explora Stadium, Audi Field, Providence Park, BMO Field, Saputo Stadium, or Stade Saputo in French, New Ones, TQL Stadium in Cincinnati, the Q2 Stadium in Austin, Texas, St. Louis City SC being building a stadium, Children's Mercy Park, very soon Nashville will be having their own stadium, the sport is growing my friends, stadiums made for the game at the major league soccer level are expanding, getting bigger and getting better and more elaborate. This is what it means to have a Division I league improving and doing better. Yes, Seattle plays in an NFL stadium. Yes, part ownership of the Seahawks is part of the Sounders. The Whitecaps are playing in a Canadian Football League stadium. Yes, ownership of Atlanta United is also 
the owners of the Atlanta Falcons playing in an NFL stadium, the Patriots owners of the New England Revolution. And the only blemish right now in MLS is Yankee Stadium in MLS. That is the only blemish of our top one division league to play in a baseball stadium not meant for the game anymore. We can complain about the U.S. cell clubs that also play in a minor league baseball stadium because they brought into the times. And that's what Louisville United did. Louisville City, excuse me, did. They built a stadium. And while it's sad that Charleston Battery is no longer at Blackboard, the truth is we need every club in every professional and amateur league building their own stadiums so we don't need to rent other stadiums. The Chicago Fire moving out of Bridgeview, going back to Soldier Field, and the hope and the prayer is that they return by building their own soccer stadium. This is what has to happen. This is what needs to happen. And I'm telling you right now, if we don't have these stadiums, it's all for naught. Enter Miami, rebuilding, in my view, Lockhart Stadium. And hopefully will be in their own stadium in downtown Miami until that day comes. I cannot wait. The stadiums have been improved. They've gotten bigger and better. And all I ask for this country, whether you like it or not, this sport is officially on the map, not just following what goes on in Europe, but what happens here. And I am damn proud to see new stadiums being built and seeing the sport continue to grow in our country. Great show for you tonight. I'm going to have on uh, gentlemen over uh, talking about Austin FC in the next segment, talk about the New York Red Bulls victory over Orlando City. First, first time in a long time. I haven't had him on, but uh, love to have him on talking about Sporting Kansas City from the Blue Testament of SB Nation. My good buddy Mike Kuhn joining me talking about, of course, John Luca Busio and his uprise in his career. Cuny, it's great to have you back on. I hope your family's doing well. I hope you enjoyed the the Fourth of July weekend. How are you, my friend? I I am doing well, enjoying the uh, enjoying the break. How are you doing, Daniel? There you go. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. You know, CUNY, ever since Busio came onto the scene in MLS, coming off the bench, he has been nonstop. He has been amazing to watch. His positioning for goals, whether he creates them or not, has been unbelievable. He has been a superstar. Um, I mean, I know there's plans for him to transfer out, obviously, 
But what has he meant to the development for Sporting Kansas City? And at the same time, how he was able to create all this hoopla for himself to become, uh, let's just be honest here, a superstar out of nowhere. Well, I mean, I, I think to start with your uh, with, with your first question about what it means, I mean, I, I think it means a lot to to the club now and in the future. I mean, we, we've we've talked about the uh, the next step that like you, you you're getting homegrown minutes, you're getting players that are coming through the academy system and now contributing to MLS. The next step is getting those players and then uh, selling them abroad to A, uh, help, help fund the academy, but B, to also uh, show other players, hey, we can get you from, from this point of being a player that wants to be professional to where you want to go, which is uh, being o- o- playing over in Europe or even playing in MLS. So having Busio be able to, take those steps from within the sporting academy is a is a step in the right direction for Peter Vermes and the uh, sporting academy to go to the next uh, the, the next Busio or the next uh, not not even at that level but even like the next Jalen Lindsay the next uh, Felipe Hernandez those next guys and say hey look at what we've done with uh, look at what we've done with Busio look at what we've done with Lindsay Hernandez Shallowy Harris. These guys have all worked their way up through the academy, and they're now first team contributors. So the 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 spotlight that is showing on Busio this season is good in that aspect of being able to potentially pull in new players to the academy in the future. Um, as for the second part about uh, what he's meant and just the play on on the field. He just needed the time to develop. I mean, last year was really when he started to really insert himself in as a starter to to Sporting's lineup, and he started that season at a uh, a seventeen year old. We got to remember he only turned nineteen earlier this season. So, I mean, he he just needed he he needed to grow more. He he needed to just become more comfortable even in his own body. I mean, he's not, he's not the biggest player on the field, but he, he was playing in the midfield, especially in MLS. If you're not hard enough, you're not going to, you're you're not going to play very well. That's why a lot of his minutes early on, he ended up drifting to the wing and stuff because he was able to, to, to have more of an impact on the game. But as he's grown, as he's developed, he he's turned into I'd say arguably the best, um, at worst, the second best player on Sporting's roster this season behind uh, Shallowy. He's just amazing. You know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to worry about his time with the under-17s in that World Cup because I felt Raphael Wicke just did a disservice to him in that World Cup, in that under-17 World Cup that was played in Brazil. I'm not going to blame him for that because, like I said, I think Wiki just didn't know what he was doing. I know he's with Chicago now. I still don't think he knows what he's doing, but that's Chicago's problem, not mine. I just don't think he did anyone on that roster uh, anything, any justice at all. But talking about him being on this summer's Gold Cup roster for Greg Berhalter 
and the U.S. men's national team. When you see a guy like Busio who has done so much for in MLS, especially for Sporting Kansas City, do you feel now that he has an opportunity to force himself on a World Cup qualifying roster? Maybe not this tournament, but maybe for when the USA-Mexico-Canada tournament comes in four years, four or five years. No, I, I absolutely think that's possible. I mean, I, but going back to what you had said about the U-17 World Cup, I think that speaks to what had been a big issue for Busio, not just among, uh, uh, among uh, pundits in the me, but in, in general, it was a question of where he was going to play at, at the professional level. I mean, he, he spent time on the wing. He was a, an attacking-minded midfielder. Um, he he, and now he's even playing deeper. So, not excusing Wiki with, with that, but Busio, up until the last basically year, he he really didn't have a position where he could really step in and nail it down. It's only been been within the last year that he's really started to nail down that uh, that sixth position in, in Kansas City's formation. But I mean, I certainly think that it's certainly possible for him to, to step in. Now, I, I think you can make a lot of arguments that midfield is one of, one of, if not the strongest positions on the, uh, the U S roster right now with the likes of Adams, McKinney, Pulisic, uh, even, even, uh, Leggett with, uh, LA. It, it's a very full midfield right now, but I mean, he, he's got the opportunity to uh, play in front of Burhalter, practice in front of Burhalter, and play and do that for the Gold Cup in an area where he's very comfortable with in Kansas City. I mean, that's going to be amazing to have all everyone from Kansas City watching him play for the national team, and uh, you know that that first match will be on Sunday night, July 11th on Fox Sports One, uh, around uh, 9:30 Eastern. Uh, 8.30 Central, it's going to be amazing to watch. Now, obviously, there is talks about him transferring. Uh, I believe Serie A, you probably know more than I would, but is that what it is, Serie A, he's transferring to? I, I mean, that's there, there have been minor rumors about a uh, team in the Netherlands, team in Belgium, but, I mean, the... Pretty much Italy seems to be the the main location, uh, Syria mostly. The the joke I made is that basically somebody needs to get it over with and just write a rumor where he's linked with every single Syria team where he's going to have a chance to go in and fight for minutes because that's what it feels like it is at this point is if there's a team in Syria where he can step in and fight for minutes right out of the gate, he's been linked with them. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I think that's where he's going to go. Um, the the big question questions are going to be price, how much, um, sell on fee, incentives, and whether Sporting can get him back for the rest of the season or whether he's going to leave immediately are are the main questions that I think, if I had to guess, are the sticking points on any deal at this point. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see what happens and. Uh... Uh, you know, he'll get that opportunity because, look, he's too – I'll admit it. He's too damn good, CUNY. He's too damn good. I- I'm amazed to see – well, I shouldn't say I'm amazed anymore because, I mean, look what's going on in MLS now. Look how many young players are getting an opportunity 
to get first-team minutes, and they're taking advantage of it. I mean, Busio, Caden Clark for the Red Bulls, Cade Cowell for San Jose. I mean, these guys are showing the promise of what uh, they've been taught to do. Yeah. No, you're really starting to see the, the – you're really starting to see the homegrown players really start to be major contributors, even especially younger at this point. They're, none of those three you named are, are, are 20 at this point. So all, of, all three of them are main contributors to their team in their teams. And so it just is a it, – it reflects well on the league. It reflects well on the – development of uh, the, the coaches that are doing the development of these players now that we are uh, able to see these kids step out onto uh, a professional stage in their teams and be massive contributors to their clubs. They are. They really, really are. And that also signals an opportunity to be on the national team. And if they do get on the world stage, whether it's a friendly, whether it's the Gold Cup, a World Cup qualifier, and then you're going to see those big teams from Europe calling for them and saying, "Listen, we want to uh, make, uh, we want to add you to our roster, we want to add you to our club." And then all of a sudden, boom, there they are. I mean, look what Tyler Adams has done, going from the New York Red Bulls now to Red Bull Salzburg. Obviously, still within the family, but still, though, um, you know, that's a big move going to the Bundesliga, and now you're seeing all these players playing in Germany, playing in Italy. Weston McKinney, of course, is playing in Italy. Um, I mean, I never, I've always felt, I don't know how you feel about European soccer, but nothing against the Premier League, because we all know the Premier League, you know, England, every, you can speak the language, it's okay. You know, the, um, uh, how you call it, the... Uh, uh, the uh, like the little isms and 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 slang terms are a little different, obviously. But still, though, I mean, you can speak English; it's not a big deal. But I've always felt that playing in Spain is the 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 pinnacle for an American player to really develop and do the best. I mean, you've got to be on that level, like what where Real Madrid is, where Barcelona is. Atletico Madrid is. If you can be on one of those three teams, or at least be in the league, you are unbelievably gifted and strong. And you know, to have Conrad De La Fuente there, I know he's been probably going to tra- uh, get, go on loan to another club somewhere else. But still, though, him, Dest, being on Barcelona, Josie Altidore never really had a fair shot at Villarreal. But honestly, I felt I've always felt that if you can play in La Liga, if you're an American player you have just stepped into the best league in Europe, in my opinion. Yeah, no, there, I mean, I won't go that far with the Spanish league, but I think if you can go in and step into any of the big four, big five leagues, if you include France, if you go into any of those top divisions there, you're really at the, the, uh, pinnacle uh, of soccer in the world basically and i'd even go uh to the point where you can extend it out depending on the club that players go to like um uh you did you you had mentioned uh tyler adams going to uh salzburg or not salzburg uh leipzig and then but you leipzig. have aronson yeah. at but but then you also have uh 
Aronson going to uh, Salzburg, basically, which may not be mm-hmm. in the best league or may not be in the highest league. I, I don't want to say best because it's a very it's a, it's a good league, but he's on a team that is consistently in the Champions League that's going against the uh, against the teams that are in the uh, in those big five leagues and not the lower bottom table teams. They're going up up against the top teams and they're competing. So. If it all depends on the club situation that that you get yourself into, as to where you're going to be, but it's great to see American players start to get those positions and force their way into the starting lineups, force their way into being major contributors to their teams. Exactly, and that's what we're hoping for. We want to see these players that come from our uh, that comes here from our country to get that big opportunity in Europe, go out, perform and uh, be considered one of the best. And thankfully, we're seeing it right in front of our eyes. Great Nations League tournament uh, for those two, the semifinal and the final. Now it's time for the Gold Cup to see what the next generation can do, and then we'll see who gets meshed in for World Cup qualifiers. And, you know, Burhalter is going to have to really do a lot of uh, roster uh, mix and matching because if, the, if he doesn't, we'll we're going to miss another World Cup, and hopefully that doesn't happen again, but we'll see what happens. But CUNY, as always, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it, as always, and I hope you and your family are well, and I'll talk to you again soon, okay? Sounds good, Daniel. Always appreciate the conversation. Always good to talk talk. Absolutely. You have a good night. You too. Thanks a lot. Mike Kuhn, down the byline, formerly Blue Testament of SB Nation, covering Sporting Kansas City. Brand new guest joining me tonight, coming all the way down from the big boy land of Texas, this gentleman uh, covering Austin FC through Capital City Soccer. This is Mr. Nate Williamson joining me tonight. Nate, good evening, and how are you, sir? Hey, good evening. I'm doing very well. I actually just got off the pitch myself, uh, playing a little uh, pickup soccer and I'm excited to talk to you about our boys in Verde down there. And by the way, I've been on the radio for a couple of years now, and I'm not sure I've ever gotten such a, be- a good introduction. So kudos and thank you. <laughs> You'll never get it again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I would never expect anything more. I would never expect it. <laughs> that's okay. No, that's all right. So I have to ask. Um, before we talk about the, the last match on Thursday, obviously a big uh, destruction over Portland Timbers, four goals to one. Um, you know, how has it been in Austin? Obviously, there's been so many trips to professional soccer. When you had the Aztecs back in the old PDL, USL days, now you have the bold. But uh, when Matthew McConaughey came in to become part owner with Precourt, to run this Austin FC side. What's it been like ever since day one when the club officially came to Major League Soccer? Oh, man. Let me tell you, the the day that it was announced wasn't anywhere near the beginning, of course. As you know, it takes a long time to get a franchise to your city, no matter the sport, especially when it comes to MLS. And, you know, it was frustrating for a while. Like you said, the Aztecs, who most people now would know, are Orlando, Orlando City SC 
uh, team over there in Florida. They actually came from Austin originally, and it's hard to see teams have success like that. But when you see it happening for other people, it, it gets frustrating. But then all that tension builds. You know, you have the campaign, uh, MLS to ATX, of course, the hashtag, the promo, the PR. And then one day the dam breaks, you get the announcement, and not only do you hear that pre-court, someone who has a history of running successful franchises, and uh, don't ask a Columbus fan about that, of course, but, you know, and you think about it, and it ends up coming, and the dam just breaks, the tension's gone, and honestly, it, it, if you know one thing about Austin, you know it's a party city, it's a very lively, youthful city, um, and that's exactly what we've seen so far, and day one, when we were getting the team, it didn't matter who was going to be on it, who was behind it, you know, we had McConaughey, we had the man himself working on it, and that's all that mattered. It was a party atmosphere. Um, and for soccer fans, I, honestly, it was such a relief uh, that the process was done and that it was a success after so many attempts. Now, I have to ask this question. Usually I'm not a fashion guy, but where the hell did he find that green and black <laughs> trimmed suit? Where did he find that? Your guess is as good as mine, but you know with McConaughey, he very well could have pulled that off of a uh, Lucky Charms commercial, uh, and if he had that exact suit, you know, from the live-action Lucky Charms commercial, he would have pulled it off, and you know, I'm not a big colored suit guy, I don't think it suits me, but man, I, as a big McConaughey fan, uh, I, I fully endorse it, and I think he killed it. <laughs> I, I bet you would, I bet you would. But anyway, uh, I thought that was really cool. I thought that was really cool. He brought his own drum hanging around his uh, waist and uh, going to the supporters section at the Q2. I mean, that that's a damn good stadium. That's a very nice-looking stadium. Uh, for those of us that are not aware of where it's located, where in Austin is the Q2, uh, where was it built and what, what part of Austin? Yeah, definitely. So a local um, section of a big landscape architecture firm planned out the stadium and made sure that it was, A, you know, a big priority in Austin's environmentally friendly uh, and also sustainable. Um, and, you know, it's a nice-looking stadium. It's in the northwest part of Austin, kind of over by the domain, uh, which is, you know, the more classy, you know, fashion mall. It's a really, really quickly growing part of Austin. Um, and honestly, it, it's a beautiful part of Austin. There's lots of culture in that part. Um, and, you know, trying to fit it into downtown, as we've seen with many other franchises, is a tough task, uh, especially uh, because you have the giant uh, burnt orange University of Texas sports teams in downtown. So it really felt like it expanded the sporting culture up there into a newer area. No, that's great. That's awesome to hear. And uh, obviously, uh, the uh, last two home games before on Thursday, you had scoreless draws against San Jose, against Columbus. That had to be difficult. Uh, you know, you open up a brand new stadium. Uh, you get two good MLS sides coming at you, and you don't get a goal. And then all of a sudden, finally, the dam breaks against Portland when you finally got the first goal at the Q2, I mean, how much of the relief was it in the stadium and how loud was it? Oh, man, let me tell you, the broadcast didn't even do it justice. You know, I've been in some loud stadiums in my day, uh, but that was by far, it was, you know, ear deafening. Even, you know, you could tell through the TV, you know, it was as loud as probably I've heard anything since maybe the last UT national championship in football. Uh, and that. Uh, didn't happen again this year, obviously, but 
man, it was so loud. And you could almost feel the relief. And, you know, like you said, that tension, the dam breaking, and just the whole city went crazy. You know, from inside of the stadium to the watch parties, that there's a comp, uh, compilation video out there that you can find on the Internet. And let me tell you, you know, if you have any ties to the city or even just any ties to the game that we love, the beautiful game, you know, it's something special to see. We've seen it with teams opening new stadiums. And, you know, to suffer through those two games and to suffer through an eight-game road trip before that is tough, especially when you have these great, you know, renowned MLS franchises coming in and playing games. And, you know, you hold them. You know, the wall, Brad Suver has been in goal. Holding them out of your own nets, you know, and then getting a break in the twine yourself with a guy who's been, you know, in a low-scoring team, uh, very influential in John Gallagher. It was it was remarkable to watch, and you could tell the team really, really wanted it for the fans and for themselves, of course. No, I, I absolutely. I don't blame them at all one bit. How do you like Josh Wolf as your uh, head coach? What have you liked about him so far, and what would you like for him to tweak if you get the opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Josh Wolf. Actually, my first interaction with him, funny enough, came from the uh, the computer game Football Manager. You know, about four or five years ago, um, and he was with the U.S. Men's National Team uh, at the time. Of course, under Greg Berhalter and you know the various other coaches, he's worked his way up through the system. And when he was announced, I personally was ecstatic because I've heard really good things about his protege line and you know his experience so far. Um, and, you know, I think for the team that he has, you know, we lost a couple players early to the season, two big names, probably one of the most influential people, you know, early in the season are going out and probably our lone productive striker out as well early in the season. And you're having to deploy a false nine. He's doing what he could at first. Um, and, you know, I think once they get a couple new signings, I still think we'll sign a designated player here. Um, and I would love to see him do that, of course, whether, you know, it's a guy from the MLS or whether it's a gem from outside of the MLS. I think that's a big necessity. And truthfully, I think the whole city of Austin is kind of calling for that. And uh, I don't think they'll let us down. I, I think Freecourt has a history of bringing in these big guys. And, you know, I think we'll see it. I think it'll come together. Tactically, you know, of course, who am I to tell him what to do? But, you know, the false nine, I, I don't love running a false nine in any league around the world typically because it means that you don't have a true number 10 or actual number nine. And it, it's rough, but you know, Fagundes and Cecilia Dominguez have done a good job so far with that. They just get caught a little too far back. But I think in the last game, we saw a lot of those errors at least attempted to be corrected. Uh, one more thing I would love to see my guy Kakuta Mane come in a little bit earlier in the games. And I think as we start to find the net, we might see that happen potentially. Uh, I think he just needs to get his feet back under him. But, I, you know, growing up watching the MLS, he's been around for what seems like forever, and he's still in his mid-20s. I would love to see him get a little more time on the pitch for sure. Absolutely. Now, I have to ask you, because obviously I'm based in the New York City area, covering the New York Red Bulls, how has Jared Stroud been so far for uh, Austin FC, and uh, what have you liked about his game? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think he's been influential from the start. He was one of the guys I was really excited that they brought in. I think he's been a little unlucky not to score thus far this season as he's had some of the closest opportunities. Um, and like everybody else, it's just been about that last ball, that last touch to put it in the net. Um, and truthfully, I, he's I'm fully biased here. Stroud coming in, probably my favorite player, maybe other than Cecilio Dominguez. Um, and I, I think the dam's going to break for him too, but you know, the passion and the excitement he brings and just the speed and creativity, uh, not a lot of guys on the team can bring that. And it showed, you know, he worked his way up 
wasn't starting a few games and then came in and just was absolutely electric on the wing. Uh, and, you know, he's been a lot of fun to watch. So your guy's doing good. Your guy's doing good, and I think it's only going to get better as this team gels a little more. Oh, absolutely. And you got plenty of time. It's only your inaugural season. And, of course, looking at the photographs here on the computer, obviously Google Maps, I mean, uh, what can you say? The grass is green. The seats are green. Green and white smoke coming out of the supporters section. Green lights flashing every time a goal gets scored at home. You're just overly green, aren't you? No. Yeah, everything's green. Everything's Verde. Everything's ATX to the core, you know, down to the local food that we that there is in the stadium. Also, incredible. If you ever get the chance, try and eat it as many places as you can, of course. Uh, and it's, it's, it's like an atmosphere that I haven't ever experienced in the United States, aside from maybe the opening of Orlando City Stadium against New York, uh, you know, with Ricardo Kaká coming in and just scoring that nasty free kick to tie the game up in, in that debut. So it, it's definitely an atmosphere that I think is going to grow the game in the United States. And as a huge men's national team fan and a devotee of that, uh, it can only be good. The more good stadiums you get, the more good fan bases you get, the better the product uh, the better the national team. So so let me ask you, I'm a train person. I'm uh, also, you know, a public transportation person to hopefully get mm-hmm. to uh, stadiums, uh, to whichever, doesn't matter what it is, whether it be a professional or college. Obviously, mm-hmm. you have your light rail system, and it's about, you have uh, Kramer Station, I would say maybe a good two, three, four blocks up the tracks. Um near West Breaker Lane, is there going to be any hopes of an actual additional light rail station by the Q2? I sure hope so. You know, that was one of the big critiques that I had. You know, in that area, they did have the space, but, you know, and credit to them, this is going to sound bad, but they elected to use it as green space. I don't say that negatively. It's it's a great-looking stadium and a pitch – or not a pitch, but a – a nice yard outside that's open to the public year-round. Um, and, you know, in Austin you can do that, of course, because the weather is either really, really hot or it's really, really nice. But I, I'm hoping they put an extra one there because you cannot go to this stadium without knowing where you're, A, going to park, B, what bus line you're going to get, or B, you know, just you have to have your entire plan planned out and start to trek in, even a couple hours in advance. You know, Austin, if you visit, you know, it is, by far, um, let's just say it's a very busy intersection city. You know, it gets a little a little crazy on the roads down there. So uh, I'm hoping, and I think as the team, you know, once again continues to find its footing after this season, I think the city council kind of has to, you know, break down and say, okay, we need to improve uh, our routes to and fro. Um, and I think we'll see that change slowly but surely, you know. No, I agree, because it has to. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's in a great location, I think. Obviously, you're, I'm, like I said, I go to Google Maps all the time. I'm looking at the area, some nice restaurants, uh, some nice mm-hmm. businesses in the area. But sooner rather than later, you know, there, I can see there's a light rail system going through the area. I think it's going to be about time that they're going to have to put uh, a light rail station very close by to the Q2. And I really think uh, is, it has to happen as soon as possible. Other than that... What are we hoping for this season? Is just everyone happy that they got an MLS team, or you're hoping for the playoffs this year? 
Yeah, I think in some ways you're just happy and you're excited that the team came to town. You're seeing the product in person uh, yeah, after a stadium delay, you know, you had that long road stretch. I think people are going to be thrilled whether we ended up at the bottom of the table or not. Uh, you know, but honestly, we've taken at least one point from two of the top four teams in the conference right now. Uh, and, you know, once the goals start going in, the expected goals is twice as much as the actual goals. Once we start to get some of those, you might see it come into place. And I know there are a lot of people hoping for a uh, backdoor playoff rush, and all you got to do is get in. We've seen it before. You got to get in. You got to play the big boys and see how you do. And, you know, it, worst case scenario, with this turnout, you've got, a next, you've got a next season. And if you have a next season in your future, that's all you can ask for. So real quick before I let you go, um, what's been going on between Austin, Houston Dynamo supporters, and FC Dallas supporters. Is there going to be a triple threat here with these three clubs in the state of Texas going after each other? Oh, 100%. 100%. You know, especially with Austin and Houston, I would say. The cultures, people, um, just the general cultures of the two cities, they kind of go back and forth. You know, you'll see on the Internet, you'll see Reddit, uh, Twitter, you know, arguing, oh, well, this city is the actual best city in Texas. And then, of course, You've got Dallas, and if you've ever met a Dallas Cowboys fan, you know how proud they are of their city, and you know kudos to them for that. But they treat the same way uh, for their soccer team as their football team. So I think we are definitely going to see some rivalries heat up. I think we'll see a rivalry between Austin and Columbus as well. Um, and they won't play each other as much, but I honestly wouldn't doubt we might even see one between Orlando and Austin, at least for the long time Aztec fans that have you know battled through and hung in there. Uh, despite the craziness, for sure. No, I believe you there, and it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen. But all I can say is, is this. Nate, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it. I hope you have a good night. Enjoy the rest of the season, and hope to have you on again very, very soon. And good luck with you in Capital City Soccer, okay? Hey, yeah, absolutely. It was an absolute pleasure, and I'll be tuning in. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. You too. All right, Nate Williamson, Capital City Soccer, covering Austin FC, and it's going to be exciting, it's going to be fun, and so far Austin's having a, a pretty good time right now, party city, party soccer city, it should be fun and exciting and a lot of fireworks, and tons of green and white smoke, we'll see what happens down the road and now time to talk about the New York Red Bulls' victory over Orlando City. Did you know a 2-1 victory again against Orlando City down at Explorer Stadium? The New York Red Bulls are the only club right now in the 2021 season to hand Orlando City two losses at Red Bull Arena in Memorial Day weekend and this past weekend, 4th of July weekend, another 2-1 loss. It's been unbelievable, unreal to see what the New York Rebels have done. And coming back from Copa America uh, duty with Venezuela, Christian Casares Jr. with a hell of a golazo and now is tied with Caden Clark for most goals in a season with four. You know, I have to tell you, um, I never thought – and I'm not saying I doubted Christian Casares Jr. at all, but, you know, when he came up through Red Bulls 2, when he transferred from a Venezuelan club to the Red Bulls, playing in Red Bulls 2, now getting an opportunity for the New York Red Bulls, 
I thought he was a guy that was going to be a solid defensive midfielder, being with Sean Davis, and occasionally, occasionally score some goals. Obviously, he's had his moments in the Open Cup two years ago, even though it was a loss against New England Revolution at Montclair State University Soccer Park. The goal he scored that made it 2-1 Red Bulls at the time was a golazo from at least 25, 30 yards away. And he beat Matt Turner cleanly, handedly. (coughs) Excuse me. I mean, he was just sensational. And I'm thinking he's going to be a defensive player and a solid one too. I mean, he was doing a great job, and I thought he would contribute with a goal or two here and there. This year, coming over Gerhard Struber, having him more in an attacking role or at least bringing the ball up or, or you know, getting an opportunity to get some chances for the area or just outside of the area, he has scored four goals. I never, ever expected him. Honestly, I have never, ever expected Christian Caceres Jr. to be an offensive player. And so far, he has been doing the job. He has been given the confidence, and he's been getting his confidence from Gerhard Struber to become an offensive-minded player. Obviously, he's tracking back to playing some defense, but his offensive game has really been growing and been doing well. Still early, I understand, but Christian Caceres Jr. has been a revelation on the offensive side of the ball. We know how good he is defensively on that side of the ball, but offensively, he has been amazing. He has just been absolutely amazing, and I'm very happy to see this. We all know Caden Clark will not be here much longer. Obviously, once the season is over with, he's going down to Germany, to the Bundesliga, to be with Red Bull Leipzig. But honestly, honestly, to see Christian Cassers Jr. explode pitch in MLS and creating goals, scoring goals, free kick amazements, I mean, the curler he scored was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I honestly didn't think he... Not so much he didn't have it in him, but I didn't expect him to score at least in this short period of time. Not counting the matches he missed due to being at the Copa America in Brazil. I mean, he's been unbelievable. And also, Fabio... Nice goal he scored inside the near post to make it 2-1. You know, now you're seeing him get more comfortable, getting more chances. Klamala, obviously, he's getting into, into places to score goals. They just haven't gone in yet. I know he's got his first in New England a couple of two games ago. It's okay. We know he's trying. He's frustrated. We all understand. He probably should have had a hat trick on Saturday night. It didn't happen, but it's okay because he's attacking and he is taking shots and he's trying to get it done. Look what he's been doing with Fabio up top. They've both been amazing. 
Their partnership has been amazing. It's been a very well-worked road trip, okay? Almost got a point in New England, got a well-worked scoreless draw in Atlanta, and now a 2-1 victory on the road, their first victory of the season on the road at Orlando. It's been an amazing thing so far. And you know what? I've enjoyed this match. Just like against Atlanta, I enjoyed that match too because it really looked like a rock'em, sock'em football match. I'll admit, the Red Bulls were on the front foot, never on their heels. They were attacking. They were defending. They were battling out there. Look at how the back line, outside of, of course, the Chris Mueller goal, for 95% of the match, the back line for the Red Bulls were amazing. Frustrating Daryl DK. Frustrating Nani. I mean, you're talking about an up-and-coming American player. You're talking about one of the best that Portugal has created in the midfield. We all know Cristiano Ronaldo is the best coming out of Portugal. We all understand that. But Nani has been amazing in his own right, playing for Manchester United all those years. I mean, honestly, the fight, the defense... The attacking runs, the free kicks, the link-up play. Everything has been going well. And, you know, I admit I've been giving uh, Carlos Coronel a lot of crap. I admit it. I have. I believe his positioning has been horrible. I believe he hasn't done good. I think there are moments where he's made a good save here and there. I also believe the back line has bailed him out. I also believe that the opposition has not really challenged him when they are at Red Bull Arena because he looks too comfortable. I don't think he's been challenged enough. But on the penalty save, late in the first half, granted, it wasn't taken well by by Perea. But give him credit, Carlos Coronel, because he could have missed that. And he made the save. Diving to his left, guessing right, kept his hands together, stopped the penalty, and the Red Bulls led 1-0 into halftime in that match. It has been amazing to watch this club finally kicking it into gear. Listen, I'll admit, sometimes I wonder with these restarts, do we have enough talent to go out and actually dominate for an opportunity to win any type of trophy? When Jesse Marsh came over after Mike Petke got this Red Bull side to the Eastern Conference Final, 2014, bringing in all these extra names, some of these names we knew, some of these names that we don't, we didn't know. And what did they do? They won the Supporters' Shield in 2015, the following year. A big run into the CONCACAF Champions League in 2018, reaching the U.S. Open Cup Final in 2017. If you instill the right manager, 
and the right sporting director, you are going to go far. As of right now, if you look at the standings currently in the Eastern Conference, it is, it is right now a four-way tie for sixth place. 16 points. Right now, D.C. United in sixth. The Red Bulls in seventh. They're currently they're at the last playoff spot. Montreal in eighth. Columbus in ninth due to the draw against New England. Red Bulls have a match in hand just as, much, just as well as Montreal and Columbus. As D.C. United has played 12 matches. New York City FC has two in hand right now. But this is the competitiveness of the Eastern Conference right now. New England leading with 24 points in first. Orlando City now stuck at second with 21. Philadelphia in third with 19. Nashville in fourth with 18. New York City FC currently a point ahead of the Red Bulls with 17. D.C. was 16 and Red Bulls was 16. And those two are in the last two spots of the playoffs above the playoff line. Then it goes Montreal, Columbus, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Chicago, Miami. And, of course, we all know what happened with Toronto. We'll get to that in a moment before we say goodnight. But as of right now, the New York Red Bulls are competing. I thought this would be a wait-and-see season. Again. And now it's turning into a season where they could do something here. Now, I'm not going to go out and say they're going to win the Shield. No, I I don't think they're going to win the Shield. I think right now it's New England's Shield to get. Maybe it's also Orlando's Shield. But what if the New York Red Bulls do make the climb up the Eastern Conference table? What if they climb up in the standings? What if they do go out now? Now that they've earned points on the road in two consecutive matches, what will they do if they will if they're going to start racking up the points. I mean, they still have one match left against New England. You believe this club could win the Shield? I don't know. Because at the moment, Sporting Kansas City, the Seattle Sounders, are battling it out for the Western Conference. And at the moment, they have 26 points. The Red Bulls, realistically, are 10 points behind those two. New England is two points behind those two. So as of right now, it's a big question mark. But the truth is, we're going to have to wait and see what will happen and how it's going to happen. And we really need to know what the situations will be. Until then, for now, Watch and enjoy what we are seeing. We are seeing youth in front of us. We're seeing young players developing and contributing and scoring and defending, creating. We are seeing good, young, talented players getting an opportunity. And they are doing a job to see it's great to be proven wrong 
And now it's time to watch the fruits of the Red Bull's labor once again and see them make this attempt to go out and do some damage. Gerhard Struber, so far, is doing an excellent job. I'd say he's the Austrian version of Jesse Marsh. Don't quote me, but I'll go along with it right now. If you get the right manager to instill the right tactics, the right encouragement, this roster can go a long, long way. And the truth is, I do hope that after the loan deal is done at the end of the season, that the Red Bulls will purchase the contract of Fabio, keep him here, and have him excel with this club, and have him and Patrick Klamala up top and doing damage. That's the hope. Carmona, Yearwood, I mean, Caceres, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I cannot wait to see what this future is going to be for this New York Red Bull side. It's going to be awesome. And I cannot wait to see this happen, and I cannot wait for this to become bigger, brighter, and better. That's the excitement. So, as everybody knows, yesterday or earlier today, probably yesterday, excuse me, Toronto FC has sacked Chris Armas as head coach of the New York Red, of the, excuse me, of the, of the Toronto FC. Let me just say this for Chris Armas, who I still have a soft spot in my heart for, for what he did for my mother and me on the death of my father. I will never, ever let, I will never, ever be negative towards him. I will never, ever be harsh at him. I will never, ever call him anything negative whatsoever. But being the pundit that I am, and to analyze his time in Toronto, as short as it was, I will, ha- I will say this. And I, and, and I have to be professional about it because as nice of a man as he is, a good man that he is, the truth is this. For him to accept the job at Toronto to start this season, I believe it was the wrong time for him to come back. I would like to say for Chris, and look, he won't, you'll probably disagree with me, and that's fine. It's okay. Chris Armas is a good man. I don't think the tactics that he brought, which of course was pressing, was not meant for that type of club. His tactics were not meant for the type of club Toronto has been for a long, long time. I think they were more of a uh, possession, possessing the ball type of team. They were mostly just bringing the ball up, trying to get fouled, set pieces, score them any way possible, and then move on to the next attacking run. 
play your defensive uh, assignments. Do your job the right way, the Greg Vanny way. And as even though Ali Curtis is the general manager of Toronto FC, and I like Ali Curtis a lot as a person, I think he's a very nice guy. And I understood why he he hired Chris. He wanted to give Chris an opportunity. I think, in all honesty, Ali Curtis really should not have hired him. And I believe that for Chris, there is plenty of time for him to be an assistant coach and one day, one day, I hope he does become a head coach again. I just think that the pressing tactics that he wanted to stick with from the Red Bulls into Toronto, it wasn't going to work with the players that he had. I think Chris needs more courses in the coaching license department. I think he needs more time. I truly believe he needs more time. And I do hope, and I am rooting for Chris. I am rooting for Chris Armas. I want him to be a head coach. Somewhere in MLS, I don't care where, somewhere in MLS, I want him to be a head coach. Because I truly believe he has an opportunity to do something great. Right now, that time is not it. I think he needs more time. I think he needs to manage a USL club, an NPSL club, USL League One club, League Two, college, somewhere. MLS for now. For now. MLS... He's not ready to be a head coach in MLS. He needs to be a head coach somewhere in the lower levels of American soccer to show that he can do the job. And that's being kind, and that's being nice about it. Because as I've said, I'm not here to destroy the man. I'm not going to do that. Even though... Many Red Bull fans still can't let it go that he was coaching in Toronto. And I don't understand why they were worried about Toronto. He was Toronto's problem. The fans of Toronto has every right to scream bloody murder about how his tactics were. Red Bull's fans should not even have to worry about Chris Armas. And what he was doing. It was over and done with. He is no longer the Red Bull's problem. He should not even be a Red Bull's fan's problem. The club has Gerhard Struber. No, nothing more, nothing less. But inferior, the inferior complex once again pops up for a Red Bulls fan. Worrying about what Chris Armas does for a different team. Leave it alone. He's Toronto's problem. Even though not anymore. 
But at the time, he was Toronto's problem. And all I'm saying is, to any Red Bulls fans that listening to the show, leave it alone. Leave him alone. Don't worry about him anymore. Not your problem. He's not the Red Bulls problem. Let some other club worry about him. But once again, I will never, ever go against him. I will never go against Chris Armas for the nice things he did for my mother and me on the death of my father. I will be uh, very kind to him for the rest of my life. I'll be nice to him for the rest of my life. I'll be fair and call it how I see it, but I'm never, ever going to go against him, period. And I thank him forever, the bottom of my heart, for what he did for my mother and me and my family. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for tonight's show. I want to thank my guests tonight, Mike Kuhn from SB Nation's Sporting Kansas City site, uh, The Blue Testament, and from Capital City Soccer, Nate Williamson. This is Daniel Feuerstein. Join me for the next show. It will be a Red Bulls uh, recap show this coming Thursday night. The New York Red Bulls will be hosting the Philadelphia Union. And join me on Friday for that recap show. And then the CONCACAF Gold Cup comes your way. We will be doing USA post-match shows in the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk will be joining me. Trying to get one more person to join me as as, uh, as much as I can, or two more people. We'll see what happens, and hopefully we will get uh, other people to, to talk about the matches. Once again, my name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care. So long, and bye-bye for now. <laughs>